Welcome to the Harvest Community Church Ohio podcast. Our passion is to welcome and care for wounded and hurting people where they are in their journey so that they may find purpose and joy in a relationship with Jesus Christ. We hope that you are blessed by listening today. Thank you for joining us, and God bless. Jesus was born in a manger. To us a son, the son of God is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And so just that, that, that focus there, he's Mighty God. He's got this, he's Mighty God. And, and the government shall be on his shoulder, and that word government, you could put in there rule or dominion. And dominion or rule will be on his shoulders. He's got it all. He's got it all covered. He does. He is the master and creator of the universe. And as that picture shows in your notes, he's got the whole world in his hands. You guys want to sing that? You ready? He's got, no, just kidding. Let's not go there. But because God has the whole world in his hands, listen to this verse. 1 Peter 5, 7 Cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Let's never forget it. There'll be times when it doesn't seem like he cares. When we go through trials and difficulties and suffering, but he cares. He does care. And so cast all your cares on him because he cares for you. Let's never forget it. God's got it under control. He knows how things need to go. God's got this. Amen? Amen. 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 Well, that's our message for today. We're going to wrap it up. Just kidding. Let's pray. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time that we're going to spend together in your word. Please open up our hearts and our minds as we walk through your word today. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So would you please open up to John chapter 12, verses 9 to 19, we're going to be doing it. If you need a Bible, our guys will do their best to get you one. Got Dave here, Brian back there. If you need a Bible or a pen or some notes, just raise your hand. Uh, Dave, up over here on the right, uh, and some guys in the back there, I see. So, and then Anna Banana. What do you need, Anna Banana? You need you need a, you need a pen. Uh, you need a Bible. Anna needs a Bible, Dave. Thank you, thank you. That's my daughter, Anna Banana their middle name yeah we were I'm thankful though that Michelle Dwoskin's not allergic to her as Michelle's allergic to bananas I told Michelle you're allergic to bananas I said I said well you're in trouble then because your husband Alex is bananas you know Alex you know what I'm saying he's a he's a good guy funny guy good guy Well, I'm going to pray. Hopefully everybody's got what they need and I'm going to pray. So would you just pray with me here as I pray? Dear Father, again, happy Father's Day. May we bring you joy in our hearts right now as we listen to your word, as we receive your word, as we open our hearts to your word. God, we thank you that you're in control. God, we thank you that nothing can happen outside your will. Please help all of us to find relief from our anxieties in this truth 
May we fight the urge to sweat the small stuff. Lord, please help us. Help us to cast all our anxieties on you. Help us to keep our focus on you, our mighty God. Thank you that we can trust you with whatever it is that concerns us today. Thank you that we can put it on your shoulders, so to speak. They're strong enough. You can handle it. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Amen. Okay, so I can see back over here. I'm going to move over here. Does, I don't know if that helps over there. There's got some folks behind that speaker there, but we'll be all right. Let's go ahead. John chapter 12. Would you please stand with me as I read? John chapter 12. Verse 9 to 19. Verses 9 to 19. When the large crowd of the Jews learned that Jesus was there, that's Bethany, they came not only on, on account of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to put Lazarus to death as well, because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. The next day, the next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it is written, and that's in Zechariah 9.9, fear not, daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a colt's donkey, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. The crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. The reason why the crowd went to meet him, the other crowd went to meet him, that is, was that they heard he had done the sign. So the Pharisees said to one another, you see that you're gaining nothing? Look, the world has gone after him. Lord, thank you for your word. Please teach us what you want us to learn from your word. In your name we pray, Lord. Amen. Thank you, everyone. Please be seated. Let's go ahead and walk back through the passage now and make some observations. So I'm just going to read uh, verses 9 to 11 again here, 9 to 11, so go there. And, and I encourage you to, you know, take some notes in your notes pages or mark some things in your Bible as you feel led. Let's go ahead. When the large crowd of the Jews learned that Jesus was there, they came not only on account of him, but also to see Lazarus. They heard that this guy had died. He was raised from the dead. They wanted to see him as it says there, whom he raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to put Lazarus to death as well, because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. Lazarus was an embarrassment to them. They were going to get him out of the way. But write this down. Number one, when we learn to find ready our significance and worth in Christ, we will enjoy contentment. So write that down. Number one, when we find our significance and our worth in Christ, we will enjoy contentment. When we put our significance and worth in Christ, something eternal, one who's eternal, 
then we'll get to know contentment. But <clears throat> when we put it into something temporal, we're going to be dissatisfied. We're going to be frustrated, as were the Pharisees. The Pharisees and Sadducees found their sense of worth and significance, okay? They found it in their positions of importance. We're really important to all these people, to all these Jews. This, this is, and this is, this is where we find our value, and this is why God should think we're important too. So, man, we can't lose this. We got to hang on to this, and that was their attitude. That's, that was their heart. That's why they, and this was something temporary, and it was going away from them. And so they, they're ready to take drastic measures. They're ready to kill some people. Well, they're going to kill Christ. Well, you can say, well, they, they've got a reason for that. I mean, that's, they could say, well, he's committing blasphemy. But what about Lazarus? What did he do? I mean, Christ raised him from, a dead, from the dead. And, but what did, what's he responsible for being held as one that they should end his life? Well, all he was to them was an embarrassment because it proved that Jesus was who he said he was. And many were turning to Jesus because of him. And, and so they were ready to even take out Lazarus. Well, why? Why? What's going on here? You know, the, the, why this irrational behavior? Why this, why, why so much fear, anxiety, worry, concern? Because their sense of significance, their sense of worth was wrapped up in something temporary instead of something eternal. I was at the Y one day and one guy walked, walked up and he was like, yeah, here, look at this. And it was a picture of him, strong, buff. Yeah, that's, that's me. And I'm looking at this old guy with his cane and thinking, that, that's not you anymore, sir. That's not. And, and that's gone. See, you and I need to put our sense of worth and significance in the fact that we're children of God and not something that is passing not something that we can lose, not something that will cause us fear and anxiety if it's going to be taken away. For me, uh, I often find that apart from Christ, I have this separation anxiety. When I don't look at Christ, I have this separation. Oh, are these people gonna walk away? I, I've been their pastor, I've been loving them. I'm caring for, are they gonna walk away? And sometimes, oh, oh I gotta get... I got to make sure I get this right, or this is done right, or that. No, 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 Randy, no. Jesus tells you, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. That's where you find your worth. That's why you're, where you find your significance. That's where you find love, not someplace else. Because if you're going to do that, you're going to exemplify that person who's fear-based and running around with doing irrational behavior, trying to control things, and that's not what we're to be about, right? As Christians, as believers, not at all. And so when our attitude is set on, you know, something that typically rattles us and, and gets us upset, when we are focused on Christ and our relationship in him, then those things don't seem to trouble us much anymore. And we don't really sweat the small stuff. When we find our significance and worth in Christ, we find we don't need to fret. We don't need to worry. We don't need to have some knee-jerk reaction that's just irrational and foolish. Instead, we can sit back and say, you know what? I'm going to leave it to him. God's got this, right? I can, I'm going to leave it to him. God's got this. I don't have to worry. Please, God, help us to be people like that. Please. 
Well, let's read that passage again and see what else we can learn from it. Verses 9 to 11, one more time. When the large crowd of the Jews learned that Jesus was there, they came not only on account of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to put Lazarus to death as well, because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. So write this down, number two. If you're living out your God-given purpose, you're doing what God put you here to do, the evil one will seek to stop you and to shut you down. He'll seek to make you useless. If you're living out your God-given purpose, the evil one will seek to stop us and make us useless. If we're living out our God-given purpose, the evil one will seek to stop us and to make us useless. Lazarus, as we said, was an innocent man. Uh, but his influence was turning many people to Jesus. And others were, were going around using it as a testimony. Hey, we saw Jesus raise Lazarus. It was amazing. And, and so many were turning and saying, wow, really? For real? I trust you. I believe you. And many others were believing. And so they sought to kill him. They sought to end him. And you know what? The evil one wants to end you. He wants to stop your witness. And you know, he typically has three main uh, attacks, three main attacks, and we see this in, in Nehemiah. If you know the book of Nehemiah, the, you, you see there are these three main attacks. If you don't know the book, just hang with me, listen, we'll get these down, but here they are. The first one that we saw in, in, in Nehemiah and that, that I've seen in my own life is our reputation. The devil comes after our reputation. He, he wants to get people to question our character. He, he wants to, so with Nehemiah, it was this way. It was like, yeah, that guy is trying to build these walls. He was building these walls around Jerusalem to, to protect the city. He's trying to build these walls around Jerusalem because he's gonna rebel against the king. That was a lie. He was doing it under the orders of the king with the king's permission and he had no rebellion in his heart, but they were his enemies were attacking his reputation to try to shut down the work, to try to, distract him to get him to lose focus. And uh, that was not the case at all. So when the devil comes after you and starts attacking your reputation and you think, well, I've got to, I've got to defend my reputation. I got to, I got to stand up for myself here. No, no, no. God's got this. I must be doing something right because the devil's coming after me. God's got this. I'm going to leave it to him. I'm going to let him fight my battles. And then the second thing we saw with Nehemiah was they said to him, they go, hey, that wall is so flimsy. What do you know about building a wall? If a fox jumped off it, that wall would fall over. Well, the devil, when he attacks us, he comes after our ability. Ability, you can't do this. You, you can't. You're just not able. You don't have the gifts. You don't have the mind. You don't have the talent. You don't have the ability. You can't do this. And he tries to stop the work and shut it down that way. And you know, often there, I'm so thankful we don't have this group at our, our, at our church. I don't see this group anywhere. It's called the, the, the Fellowship of the Miserable. What do I mean by that? The Fellowship of the, the Pew Potatoes. You know, we, we have chairs, not pews, but the Pew Potatoes. What do I mean by that? People will sit back and, and they're afraid to step out. They're afraid to step out and do something for the Lord. But they are pretty good at sitting back and criticizing everybody else. You know, like they did that wrong. I would have done it that way. They're, they're not doing this. I would have done it. They should have done this. The, don't be a part of the fellowship of the miserable, please. 
the fellowship of the couch potatoes, I mean the pew potatoes. Don't be those people. Get out, do something, be a part. And, and if you're someone who is getting attacked by them for your ability, don't let it distract you. Don't let it take you away from the work. Here's the third and final thing. They said, hey, Nehemiah, why don't you come on out and meet with us? We want to have a talk with you. And they, they were like, yeah, when he comes out here, we're going to kill him. We'll end him. And so the devil does. He's, he's ugly. He comes after our bodies. He does. And sometimes the hardest thing for me as a pastor is when I see him attacking my kids, my children in these ways as well. And, but let's realize this. When he does, we can't let it stop us. We can't let it distract us. And Nehemiah was like, I don't have time for this. I can't come meet with you guys. Sorry, you do your thing. I'll, you do you, I'll do me. I've got a work to do. So you and I, we can't be distracted. You'll see there, I think in your notes, I put a blank, blank there. Do not let him use these attacks, ready, to keep us or take us away from our focus, from our purpose. Don't let him do it. We must fight to keep our focus. Amen to that? Can't let him distract us. You know, he wants to use attacks on your reputation and get you into side eddy conversations about that. No, no, no. He wants to attack your ability and pull you away. No, don't, don't let him do that. He wants to come after your body. And when he does, you got to fight through and say, I'm not going to let this crush my faith. Not at all. I'm going to stand strong and trust him. Trust that he is who he says he is. Here, Ephesians 6, 16 uh, I didn't put it in your notes there, but it says this, ready? In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. Hold up that shield of faith that says, ready? God's got this. God's got this. God's got this. Devil's not taking me out, not taking me down. Well, look at verse 12. The next day, the large crowd had that had come to the feast. Now, this is the crowd that had come out to the feast. They'd, they had seen what had happened. Uh, they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, so they took branches of, of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. So they began proclaiming, hey, listen, this is the guy that raised Lazarus from the dead, everybody. And they're holding up palm branches. The last time victory palm branches were held up was when the, the um, Maccabees had taken control of Israel again. And, and so they're like, here's the Messiah. We're going we're gonna to revolt. We're going to take control of Israel. And they're waving their palm branches. They're putting them down on the road. They're shouting, Hosanna, save now. Bring salvation now. That's what Hosanna means. Save now. Bring salvation now. Praise the Lord. Bring salvation now. And they didn't realize, though, that Jesus was there to rescue them from sin. He wasn't there to rescue them from Rome. And so here's the third thing. Write this down. The Israelites missed that the first coming of the Messiah was as a suffering servant. The Israelites missed that the first coming of the Messiah was as a suffering servant. So we're on the back side of your notes now. Suffering servant there, fill in those blanks. So how did the Israelites miss that the first coming of the Messiah was as a suffering servant? How did they miss it? Well, 
You see a little picture there I have in your notes, and if you don't have some notes, it's got like a guy standing there, and there's a mountain peak here, and then there's a distant mountain peak that rises higher, and he's looking off into the distant mountain peak and missing the one in between, and and the distant mountain peak is the second coming of Christ. Let's understand that there are two comings. Christ came first as a suffering servant, that first mountain peak, and the second mountain peak is he's coming as a conquering king. And for the Jews, they missed it. They didn't see it. They didn't understand it. They just were looking for a warrior king who was going to rescue them from Rome. And they missed all those passages in Isaiah that said that, no, he's coming as a suffering king. And it says there again, verses 14 and 15, look, and Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it just as as it is written, fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. Well, well, that's very significant to this conversation about these two peaks because when he came on a donkey's colt, he wasn't coming on a, on a stallion like, here I am with a sword. Here I am. I'm ready to fight. No, 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 no. He was coming on a, a donkey, which was a symbol. I'm coming in peace. I'm not coming to make war. I'm not here for that. And his disciples, look at verse 16, they didn't understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to help him. Okay, who or what helped them to remember? Or who or or what helped them to understand? Anyone. Who or what helped them to, Jesus is glorified, so who or what helped them to understand later? The Holy Spirit. The indwelling Holy Spirit. You, you you know, if if my electricity goes out, I'm bummed, man. It's like, oh man, electricity's out. What are we gonna do? What do we are, what do we got in the freezer? Do we gotta worry about it? How are we gonna rescue? You know, when it's there, we don't worry about it. I mean, like this morning, we didn't worry about it. Oh, we got it. We got sound, we got everything, we're good. But when it goes out, and I'm having to yell, oh man, I, I miss it. it Thank God you and I don't have to know what it's like, those of us who are believers, what it's like not to have the indwelling Holy Spirit to guide us and lead us into truth, to speak to us. Thank God. And, 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 and we need to realize from this, this is why so badly we need the Holy Spirit when we come to the Word of God. and We need the Holy Spirit to guide us and lead us into truth and what is truth and to help us as we go forward and And again, this act of Christ was a complete fulfillment of the the suffering servant of the Messiah. Look, Zechariah 9.9, it's there in your notes, I'll read it. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. That's a description of the, the people of Jerusalem. They're called daughter of Zion. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation, deliverance is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. And folks, the Jews miss that then. And even today, the Jews miss it. They don't see it. They don't understand that this is why uh, Christ came, was to, to be our suffering servant and to rescue us from sin on the cross. And, and we need to understand that he came, his first coming was about the cross. 
It was about him dying there in our place and shedding his blood. And when you and I put our faith in that, it's like stepping out on something we can't see and finding it being a firm foundation. Finding it being solid. Have you done that? Have you put your faith and trust in him? Listen, here, Zechariah 12, 10 tells what it's going to be like when Jesus comes back at the second coming. When he comes that second peak, when he comes back the second time, look at this, what it's going to be like for the Jews. And I will pour out on the house of David, the Jews, and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, a spirit of grace and pleas for mercy. So that when they look on me, on him whom they pierced, they shall mourn for him as one mourns for an only child and weep bitterly over him as one weeps over a firstborn. Oh my, we killed the Lord of glory. His first coming, he came as a suffering Messiah, and we killed him. And there he is. Look at the wounds in his hand, the wounds in his feet, the wound in his side, and we did that. They'll mourn. They need the Holy Spirit. We need the Holy Spirit. Verse 17, the crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead, continue to bear witness. Here's the guy who raised him from the dead. Here's what he did. He raised a man from the dead. They're telling everyone. And this is the reason why the, the, the other crowd, so there's like two crowds here. The other crowd went out to meet him because they heard what he had done. And, and so along with these crowds, there were a number of onlookers. And one of the first group of onlookers was the Pharisees. Look at verse 19. So the Pharisees said to one another, you see that you're gaining nothing. This, this toleration of this guy, you're, we're gaining nothing here. We need to shut him down. We need to kill him in a sense. There was a dispute about how to handle it. Look, the whole world has gone after him and it's true. They're, later next week we'll study. There were some Greeks that were there even and, and these people who were there in Jerusalem, Jerusalem was filled with over 2 million people uh, Josephus said there was 2,700,000 people there and, and, and that many of them were from all over the Roman world and had come and were flocking after this one Jesus. And look, the whole world's coming after him. And that was Jesus's purpose, his plan, his hope. And, but we, we find in a little less than a week, this crowd will turn against him and do nothing to stop his crucifixion. But anyway... So the Pharisees said to one another, see though that, that you're gaining nothing. Look, the whole world has gone after him. We're having zero success here. And over in Luke, in, in chapter 19, verses 39 to 40, the, some of the Pharisees responded this way, because in that rendition of the story, they said this, teacher, stop these people from calling you the Messiah. Stop it now, stop it, stop them. And Jesus answered, if I tell you, if these were silent, very stones would cry out. Well, another group that we know are there, they're not mentioned here in scripture, but we know are there are the Roman overlords, the Romans. They're there, they're looking on, and I'm sure that some of these men who are watching this parade were familiar with a, a victory parade, a Roman victory parade. As a matter of fact, a Roman victory parade, if you see there in your notes, it says it's called, ready, ready, a triumph. And, and here's what a triumph is, ready? Here's what a, a triumph is. So a triumph is this. 
a triumph, the procession of the victorious general marched through the streets of Rome to the Capitol. First came the state officials at the Senate, then came the trumpeters, then were carried the spoils taken from the conquered land, then came the pictures of the conquered land and even models of their conquered citadels and ships. There followed a white bull that would be used for the sacrifice. And then there walked the captive princes, leaders, and generals in chains, shortly to be flung into prison and in all probability almost immediately to be executed. As a matter of fact, there were executioners in the parade, followed by the musicians with their harps and lyres. Then the priests singing their, with their censer, or excuse me, swinging their censers with sweet smelling incense burning in them. So there was this fragrance of incense everywhere. And after that came the general himself, finally came the army wearing all their decorations and shouting in triumph. And their, their cry of triumph could be heard throughout the streets as well as the fragrance everywhere. As the procession moved through the streets, all decorated in garland amid the cheering crowds, it made a tremendous day, which might happen only once in a lifetime. Once in a lifetime it would happen. Now this gives insight into this description of a parade in scripture in your notes, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, 14 to 16. This helps us to understand. This is what Paul's describing. He's describing not the triumphal entry, this parade that we're talking about, but he's talking about a spiritual parade, a triumphal, a triumph of Christ. That parade is what he's talking about. Listen, but thanks be to God who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing to one a fragrance from death to death and to the other a fragrance from life to life. So write this down, this is the last point here. As we proclaim Jesus Christ as the victor and king, as you and I do that, some will be drawn to this truth while others will be repelled by it. Some will be drawn to this truth while others will be repelled by it, the truth that he is victor and king. When you share the gospel with the person, listen, and they don't respond well, it can be hard. And sometimes we take it personal. We think, oh, it's all my fault. I, I messed up and I didn't share the right words and I didn't do the right thing and it's on me. It's my fault. No, no, stop, stop, stop. There's two things going on there, ready? Number one, when you share the gospel, there's, there's power. It's, there's extreme power and it's not about you. It's about the gospel. When you share the gospel, if you know the gospel and you share it, or you share your testimony, there's power there. There's two things going on. Number one, it may be that the person is forever and will be an enemy of God. I'm sorry to say it, but it's true. That's sad. But it's not about you and your presentation. You could say all the right words. Sadly, nothing will move the needle in their lives. Sorry. The second thing is this. 
It, it might just be that the person's not ready. They're just not ready. It's not their time. But at the right time, God will capture their heart and they'll be in his parade, in his triumph. And he'll capture their heart like he did yours and mine. Remember, God's got this. He's got this. Well, as we come to the close, look at Revelation 3.20. It's not revelations. It's revelation. There's only one revelation, and that is that Jesus Christ is the Lord of glory. One revelation. That's what the book's all about. Jesus Christ as the Lord of glory, all right? And so Revelation 3.20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and I'll eat with him. I'll fellowship with him and he with me. And so I, I have some questions for you as we close. Ready? Which crowd are you in? There was a crowd that was drawn to Jesus and there was a crowd that was repelled by him. And which crowd are you in? Are you in the crowd bearing testimony, waving the branches, shouting Hosanna? Does the truth of Christ draw you in? Or does the truth of Christ repel you? Have you let the humble king come into your heart? Have you? The humble king? He won't force his way in. It's up to you and I to open the door and to let him into our hearts. Have you done that? Have you taken that step? Have you made it clear that you've received him? It isn't something, well, I, somewhere along the way growing up, I think I believed in Jesus. I just can't remember when. No, 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 no. There needs to be a point of decision where you say, he's my king. And I'm committing my loyalty to him. Do you have that time, that moment? If you don't, get that moment for yourself. Establish that moment for yourself. You haven't done that, you need to do it. If you haven't, listen, if you haven't ever understood before that only blood, listen, only the blood of Christ will cover your sin before God. Only the blood of Christ. And you need to ask for that. You need to say, Jesus, I believe that you came to this world and lived a righteous life and took my place on the cross. I believe it. And I receive what you did for me, that you love me and gave your blood for me, please be my savior. Please be my Lord and my God. If you've never done that, take care of that today. Do it today, don't wait. And if you are here and you're like, oh yeah, oh yeah, I, I've knelt down, I've given my heart over to him, I, I, I've dedicated myself to him, then look at 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14 again there on your notes. Just verse 14. But thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession. Always leads us in triumph. You've got this, God. The battle's yours. It's not mine. You always lead me into victory. Even in death, there's victory for the believer. And through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. And there are people around you who are going to be drawn to that. And there are people going to be repelled. I'm sorry, that's just how it is. But God won't fail. He won't let us down. Through Christ, we're victorious. The battle is his. God's got this. 
Never forget it. Let's pray. And then in a few moments, Christian's going to lead us in worship. We'll have a time of prayer and meditation. It's there in your notes. I'm going to want you to just kind of think through what have you learned or been reminded about God? What does God want you to do with what you've heard today? But let's go ahead and pray right now. Dear Lord Jesus, thank you that you are our Savior, that you have our lives in your hands, that the government can rest on your shoulders, the rule and dominion of this world, the rule and dominion of my life, the things that concern each one of us, you can handle it. You've got this. And Lord, so we look to you and we commit our lives to you. I pray if there's anyone here today who's never received you as Savior, never had that moment where they said, my loyalty is given to you. You're my captain. You're my king. You're my Lord. May they do that today. And Lord, for anyone who has done that, may they understand that they are the fragrance of you, Christ, everywhere they go, as they bear testimony that you raised them from the dead, that you lifted them out of the pit. God, may as we do that and we share our testimony and our story, may you draw those who are yours to you. Please, God, thank you that through you we have the victory and we know you will never fail. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.